Please join me for a word of prayer as we remain standing. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our will. Set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, my family and I have been away for a bit. Uh, we left on July 21st for a mission trip. Uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that uh, later on in the service from one of our team members. But we were gone for about two weeks, and then the week after that, my family and I were away on vacation. So it feels like I've been away for a while, if I'm honest. It feels like it's not been quite long enough. We were at a great spot called Lakeside. Uh, enjoyed a great time up on the lake. So. Uh, as with all vacations, this one just ended a little bit uh, too soon. We're in a sermon series entitled Simple Gifts. We've been thinking about some of those things that we encounter every day. Things like God's creation, food, things that you and I sleep, things we do every day. And actually, things, these things are all, the Bible has a lot to say about these things. But we often don't reflect on them. Certainly we don't reflect biblically about them. And so we've been thinking about some simple gifts and considering them in light of Scripture so that some of these simple gifts that we can take for granted, uh, we can more fully appreciate. And I think of all the simple gifts that we have thought about, the one gift that we're most prone to take for granted is the gift of friendship. I don't think that friendship is a, a, a high value. Uh, maybe it was at one point in time in our youth, but just culturally, I don't think friendship is, is uh, a high value for us. Let me just put on the hat of a cultural critic. I think in 20th, 21st century Alexandria, Northern Virginia, American culture, I think we think, I think that we think, romantic relationships are the end-all and the be-all. Like any true relationship, any really satisfying relationship is romantic in nature. And friendship is just a distant second fiddle. And so we don't really talk about friendship. We don't think about friendship. I think statistics bear this out in general. Uh, you probably know these statistics just as well as I do. Uh, the rate of isolation that we are experiencing is soberingly high. An article from the Washington Post some years ago indicated that well over 50% of us have no one to turn to as a confidant. If we're married, then the only confidant that we have is our spouse. Otherwise, there's simply a vacuum no one, <laughs> no one to turn to, no close friend, well over 50% of us. As we think about the tragedies that have once again filled our newspapers, we have to imagine that those perpetrators of those horrific acts, among other things, were afflicted with loneliness and simply no one to talk to. These statistics go on, but the uh, the sense that friendship, the, my observation that friendship is not valued by our culture is confirmed by, by just this growing sense of isolation. What about you? 
Do you value friendships? I have a sense that if you're a part of a church, a voluntary a community, communal organization, then you probably value friendships more than most. But even so, for most of us, friendship probably has a ring of nostalgia. In other words, friendship is something that we associate with summer swimming pools and junior high uh, pickup games of football. Maybe in college we had idealistic dreams that we're going to be friends with our fraternity brothers throughout the ages, but then life hits and job demands hit and maybe families come along and it, friendship sounds, seems like a luxury that we simply can't afford. Sure, it may have been important then, maybe it will be important, important again sometime in the future, but for right now, it's just something we don't give ourselves to. Well, if you resonate with this assessment, if you are perhaps part of that statistic of isolation without any confidant to turn to, if you believe, like I suggest our culture believes, that truly satisfying relationships are romantic in nature and anything else is just second place, if you believe that, if, if you believe that friendships are just something for junior high and they fade with adult, then I, I'm afraid to say that you and I are out of step with the vast majority of humanity and we're out of step certainly with the Bible. Every other culture and every other place has given greater value to friendship than, than we have. Just a few quick quotes to illustrate this. St. Augustine, writing in the year 300 AD, says this, Two things must be highly prized in this, in this world, both life and friendship. Both must, must, both must be highly prized. Neither must be undervalued. Another ancient church father by the name of Gregory Nazianzus wrote this, If anyone were to ask me what is the best thing in life, I would answer, friends, the best thing, the best thing. Jonathan Edwards, an 18th century preacher, wrote this, that friendship is the highest happiness of all. Now, how do those superlatives strike you? Don't they just sound, strike you as idealistic? Something that a junior high may, a junior high student may write that friendship is the end all and be all. No, they are not exaggerating. This is not idealism. Other people, other cultures have valued friendship in ways that we do not. And I think the Bible, the testimony of the Bible elevates friendship above where we have it. Our psalm this morning is a celebration of friendship, how good and pleasing it is when brothers, sisters dwell together in unity. It is like fine oil poured down on the head, like dew falling on the mountain. Now oil poured on your head, dripping over your beard may not sound too appealing, but I think the context suggests that this is a really good thing. This is one of God's rare and privileged blessings that here God provides the blessing, even life evermore. Where does God provide the blessing? In the context of brothers and sisters living together in unity. 
I suggest living together in the bonds of friendship. Now, friendship is not a luxury of adolescence. Something that we put away when we become adults. Friendship is not second fiddle to romance. Friendship, according to almost everyone but ourselves, is an essential quality of a full and good life. So this morning, I want to think about friendship with you. And I hope to do two things. I hope to just elevate friendship for us. So it can be something that we don't say, oh, we're just friends. <laughs> no, friends, I want to elevate that word for us. And I want to give us some uh, suggestions of how we can make good friends and what good friends are for. I want to do this as we look at the inspiration behind Psalm 133. Now, most of these psalms are written by David, uh, King David. And we actually don't know how and when or when he wrote that, the context from which he wrote. But I have always thought that David wrote this psalm, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity as he reflected upon his special friendship with another man named Jonathan. So I want to read a passage that describes the beginning of that friendship and then just make two simple observations from that passage. So first, the beginning of the special relationship between Jonathan and David. I'll explain the context in just a moment, but let me read it. David finished talking with Saul. This is 1 Samuel 18. You may want to turn there to follow along. This will be our preaching passage. David finished talking with Saul. Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And Jonathan loved David as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing, he gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword. He gave David his bow, gave him his belt. And whatever mission David was sent on, he was successful. And this pleased all the troops. That's 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 5. Now, two quick observations about this passage. First of which is that great pursuits are the soil in which great friendships grow. Let me explain. The context for this passage, 1 Samuel 18, it immediately it comes right after David's encounter with Goliath. Now, most of you know that story. David uh, encounters a, uh, a seemingly unbeatable foe, Goliath. He also encounters a malaise amongst his, his fellow soldiers. David alone stands up and says, who is this? And you know the story. He picks up his sling and rock and despite insurmountable odds, he slays Goliath, the Philistine. You know that story. And that's 1 Samuel chapter 17 in the passage I just read, the beginning of this friendship. This is 1 Samuel 18. Now, Jonathan is a character you may know a little bit less about. We first encounter him a few chapters early, earlier in chapter 14. 
And he is in a situation very similar to David's. The Philistine army has the upper hand, just like David experienced. The Israelites are outnumbered. They're outgunned. The, the Israelite army is despondent. No one's acting. Saul says something very David-like. Saul, uh, Jonathan says something that you could imagine David saying. Jonathan says, well, let, look. Let's go over to those Philistines on the other side. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or few. And so they go, just Jonathan and one armor bearer. They cross the valley at night. They attack the Philistine garrison. How many in a garrison? I don't know, but they're hopelessly outnumbered. And lo and behold, they win. While the story of David and Goliath is much more familiar to us, the stories are remarkably similar. Both David and Jonathan encounter seemingly unsurmountable odds. Uh, both David and Jonathan encounter the malaise of their fellow soldiers. Both David and Jonathan act when no one else will. Both are courageous, both are adventurous, both are risky. And here's my, my suggestion. I believe that when Jonathan saw David Standing up against Goliath, he thought, huh, that reminds me of somebody. That reminds me of somebody I know. That reminds me of me. Or it reminds me of me as I wish I could be, of me at my best. The poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge had a great friendship with another poet. His name was Robert Southey. Coleridge was asked on what, about their friendship. Coleridge responded, on what grounds did I form a friendship with him? Here's how. Because our pursuits were similar. And because I saw plainly that compared to the mass of men, Southie was pure in habits, habitually indignant at oppression, and a far better man than the vast majority of young men whom I know. But did you hear that opening line on what was the basis of our friendship? We shared similar pursuits. That's the basis of friendship. Great pursuits are the soil for great friendships. C.S. Lewis says, you know you found a friend when you hear this. Oh, you see that? You feel that? You want that? I thought I was the only one. So Jonathan may have thought, oh, there's someone who's courageous, who risks, who jumps first, looks later. There's someone who acts like I act. There's someone I thought I was the only one. And that is at the basis of a true friendship. I've mentioned this before, but it's so helpful for us to draw a distinction between romance. And by the way, I'm not down on romance. Romance is great, but romance is only one type of relationship among many. The posture of romantic relationship is eye to eye. Lovers look eye to eye at one another. Lovers talk about their love. And to the chagrin of my children, my wife Jennifer and I will often look eye to eye in their presence and talk about their love while the children scream, no, dad. Uh, but that is, friends never talk. The posture of friends is not eye to eye. Try looking at a friend. Go turn to your friend and try to look eye to eye. 
Not, not your spouse. <laughs> Look to your friend and try to talk about your friendship. It's terrible. This is what, one of the most painful things in high school is for men to write in other men's yearbook. <laughs> what do you write about? Hey. <laughs> you see, friendships, uh, friendships are about something. The posture of friend is shoulder to shoulder looking and the, the conversation of a friend is the, the conversations about the mutual object of their desire. So for Coleridge and Southie, poetry. Here's the point. Do you want great friends? Pursue great things. Trivial pursuits will always lead to trivial friends. Great pursuits will always lead to great friends. Great pursuits are the soil for great friendships. So why sports teams, I'm not sure a sports team is a great pursuit, but it, it is a pursuit. This is why sports teams are such a fertile soil for friendships, because it's a group of different people united towards a common goal. To a greater degree, military service is a fertile soil for good friendships. I've referenced my father's passing. He, had a, he served in, uh, he graduated from United States Air Force Academy and served in uh, active duty in the Air Force. We just had a memorial service for him in May at the academy and over 40, uh, 40 classmates and their spouses attended. 40, that's 50 years ago. I don't think there'll be one friend from college that attends my funeral. My, my pursuits were simply not that lofty. And without lofty pursuits, there are no good friendships. Do you want good friends? Good friends grow in the soil of good pursuits. I'm convinced that one reason we don't have good friendships is because we have a lack of hobbies. We work, flip on the TV, and go to bed. And without anything, without any avocation, there's no room to develop good friendships. So our first point, and you see it from Jonathan and David, their soul is knit together because they both share similar pursuits. Our second point, not only are Great pursuits, the soil for good friendships, but good friendships encourage us in our great pursuits. Right? So a little bit circular, good friendships encourage us in our great pursuits. Again, you see this from our passage. David, or Jonathan to David, gave him his robe, his sword, the, his uh, tools of his trade to encourage David in his pursuits of his vocation. And David went on from success to success. The encouragement that we receive from our peers, I'm convinced, is more powerful than any other type of encouragement. You're supposed to get encouragement from your parents. If you're married, you're supposed to get encouragement from your wife or your husband. But to receive encouragement from a peer is more powerful than all other forms of encouragement. Listen to how J.R. Tolkien, 
the great author, described the encouragement that he received from C.S. Lewis. You may know that the soil of their friendship was formed in their mutual love for literature. They formed this little group called the Inklings, and they met to discuss literature. J.R. Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings. C.S. Lewis wrote uh, The Chronicles of Narnia and many, many other books. That was the soil for their friendship. When C.S. Lewis died, listen to how Tolkien describes the encouragement he received. The unpayable debt that I owed to C.S. Lewis was not influence as it is normally understood, but sheer encouragement. Lewis was for a long time, a long time, my only audience. Only from him did I ever get the idea that my stuff could be more than a private hobby. But for his interest and his unceasing eagerness for more, I should have never brought the Lord of the Rings to a conclusion. Isn't that powerful? But for his interest, for his unceasing appetite for more, one of the greatest books of all time would never be coming to fruition. And how did it come? It came through the simple encouragement and interest of a friend. Friendships encourage us in our great pursuits. And I bet for each one of us, as you think back in your career in some pivotal moments, I certainly can. I can think of a few unscripted moments of encouragement from friends that took what was just an idea into a reality. I bet the same is true for you. Friendships encourage us in our great pursuits. Now, what I've said so far is really just general observations about friendship. And these observations, I think, are applicable to anybody, regardless of faith or creed, meaning these are not specific to the Christian faith. So I just want to conclude our thoughts by asking the question, now, what does Christian faith shape, or what does Christian faith have to say about friendship? And just three very quick points. First is that friendship is natural. Friendship is a natural part of Christianity. Why? Because great pursuits are the soil for friendships and Christianity, Christian faith is a great pursuit. Following Christ is a great pursuit. It is described as the great race, the good fight. And because Christianity, the life of faith, is a great pursuit, it is fertile soil for good friendships. Friendship is natural to Christianity because Christian faith is a great pursuit. Secondly, secondly, let me find my notes. Uh, Second, friendship is helpful to the Christian faith. Why? Because our faith is aided by the encouragement of others. Gregory of Nyssa, the same one who identified friendship as the greatest source of happiness, wrote, At a horse race, spectators shout to their favorites. From the balcony, they incite the rider to keener effort, urging the horse while leaning forward, waving their hands, not their whip. I seem to do the same thing myself, most valued friend and brother. While you are competing in the divine race, straining for the prize, I urge you onward. Because great friends encourage us in our great pursuits, 
friendship is helpful to Christianity. I think one of the best things you can have to encourage your walk of faith is a few good friends. Pursuing the same thing. Trying to live good lives. Responsible. Trying to honor the Lord with what they say and do. I don't think there is... I know a few things that are more helpful than that. Third and finally, friendships are cherished by Christians because Jesus chose the word friend to describe his relationship to us. I guess some people can go through life without friends. Some people can pursue their faith without friends. I don't know how. But many people do. But a life without friends is a life that is lacking. So my hope for us this morning is that we would reevaluate the place of friendship in our lives that we would find great pursuits and great friendships in those pursuits. That would be an encouragement to others in our mutual pursuit of faith in Christ. A person who wants to live fully in this life will treasure their friendships. And a person who wants to enjoy life fully in the age to come will treasure their friendship with the one who calls us friend, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take a brief moment. Let me call to mind a close friend. Take a moment to thank God for the gift of friendship. Take a moment and remember that Jesus calls you his friend. He's standing by your side encouraging you.